Welcome to another episode of the Digital Recruiter Podcast, the podcast where share all the ins and outs of what it's like to work in the agency recruiting world. I am your host, Clark Wilcox. Today, I'm joined by John Gardeau, the co-founder of ClintSearch Resources, uh, he's a, which is a pharmaceutical recruitment and consulting agency. I've known John for a couple of years now, um, always been impressed with his approach to running and building an agency. Uh, so I'm happy to have him here today. John, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Clark. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Well, let's uh, let's get started the way we always get started. So, how did you get into recruitment? Yeah, that's a fun that's a fun uh, answer. So, uh, very few people actually know this about me. Not because I'm trying to hide it, because I'd rather just focus on the recruitment aspect of it. Um, I, I guess I would start back in college. Uh, I went to become a lawyer. I had a number of family members around me growing up that that was just kind of the profession to be in. After a few years of studies, um, I, I just looked inward and determined that there was no way sitting behind a desk and interpreting U.S. code was going to be the trajectory for me. Um, maybe litigation, a lot of movement uh, in the courtroom, but I felt that that was just not going to be my journey. Um, in my third year of college, I actually worked closely with my advisor to determine another path that would allow me to continue my legal studies, but become a little bit more hands on. So there I became a police officer in a south suburb of Chicago. Um, and in true fashion, it was in my third year of policing that, again, I said to myself, listen, this, this just was not going to be it. Um, I, I just told myself life is going to be too short. Obviously, the connotation of being a police officer, uh, it being a very dangerous profession, uh, unbelievable respect to everyone that is still doing that role. But I, I really just wanted to do something I loved. And I've always loved... Uh, working, this is where it comes a little bit odd. I've always loved working with animals and people, um, specifically the interactions and evolution as it pertains to others in their environment. So I went back to university, got a second degree to blend people and science. Um, after relocating to North Carolina, a friend of mine, a small life sciences staffing firm, uh, just saw the ability to do exactly what I wanted to after leaving policing, which is essentially talk science every day and help people find great opportunities. That's how I kind of got here. I love it. I love it. It's always, uh, it's always a windy road, right? We look back like how in the world did we get there? I mean, I, I've been thinking about my days living in, in Florida, working for the Florida Gators football team. And I'm like, how, how did I get into recruiting? Like I was a sport management major. Like I, you know, I was going to be the GM of the Patriots. Like that was the dream. <laughs> and then like, and then I'm here now. And it's just like, then you look back and like, I, of course I wouldn't be doing anything else, but being in recruiting industry. So, uh, but it's interesting kind of the, the path we take to, to get there. So law, which yeah, you did more law school than I, I, I looked at the, I think the application and I was like, no, thanks. Uh, <laughs> so he did more there. And then, yeah, that police officer in recruiting, I don't think I've heard that one before. Uh, yeah, so that's, me. that's a new route. That's a new route. Um, okay, so you got, you got into recruiting. How long were, were you always been in kind of clinical research or like when you got into agency recruiting, like what, yeah, what was the first kind of few years there? Like, yeah, I started actually off in translational science. That's kind of where that science background came from. Yeah. But I soon found a pretty strong niche in working with business development and sales professionals across CROs, laboratory manufacturing, investigator sites, 
Um, we had a rapport. Um, I had done a myriad of uh, various sales roles throughout my life. And it was just easy to talk to those individuals. I mean, listen, we're all, you and I are both in sales. Yeah. Um, it's easy to talk to a salesperson when they truly want to sell something and they really believe in the service that they're offering. Yeah. Um, so for the past 13 years now, I've actually been working on the commercial side. It's probably my strongest stance for business development and sales. But I've blended that off and worked with the operational side as well. And since then, we've really kind of take over, uh, taken over all of clinical research where we function in almost every single division that a CRO or a clinical research organization would need to run their facility. Yeah, just kind of yeah, permeating the way through the organization, right? And, and kind of starting with one, you know, you kind of start with one specialty, even within the industry, and kind of become known for that. And then like, that's how you get more recs and roles and all, all that good, right, that retention business, um, through kind of being mastering that one thing, as you just kind of start to layer on the other specialties. Um, really, yeah, just smart, definitely smart approach. Um, so you started agency 2017, right? So a few Correct. years ago. Yeah, gotcha. we incorporated in January of 17. You're right. Yeah, gotcha. And so what was, talk to me about that. Like, what was the inspiration to going off, going out on your own? Um, and then why at that time? Yeah, yeah. Great, great question here. Um, and I'm sure the people, you're probably going to be nodding your head and some of the people that are going to be listening are going to be nodding their head here. Um, I just felt like most agencies are very transactional. It's the old, I got a guy, you want a guy. Um, I was pushed to conduct business in a manner that, in my fourth year, I believed was not conducive to generating relationships. Make a hundred phone calls a day or you're fired or you're chained yeah. to the desk, whatever that looks like. Uh, you know, and I understand starting out, you know, whether it's you're a first time recruiter or starting your own agency. I know starting out, you need to succeed through effort. But if your goal is just to make calls, you're never going to learn the true needs of your clients and you're never going to become a true partner. Um, I always felt there was a better way to partner with clients. Um, and that there was something that my old organization was missing. I attempted multiple times to show executive leadership where some of my methodologies were showing successes and they just didn't want to hear it. So after four years, I just became exhausted and I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to do this better. Yeah. So to go off of that, like where does Clint Search now kind of like differ from your competition, from what you were doing at the agency before Kind of what was that approach to doing it better? Yeah. Great question. Um, I, I feel like it's not enough anymore because there were so many differentiating propositions from agencies that said, well, we specialize in your space. And that's great. And CleanSearch definitely does specialize in a space. We have no interest in being everything to everyone. But beyond specializing in the space, by the sheer volume of output that our recruitment team conducts on a daily basis, we can identify trends before our clients can and bring them to their attention. Right. So it's based on that volume output as well. We're built from the ground up to help clients make better hiring decisions through real-time market data and consulting, right? Yeah. Even, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just, I love this point, but you finish your thought. I want, I'm, I want to dig into that a little bit, but go ahead, finish the thought. Yeah. 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 So our process of consulting actually kicks off right at the top. It's at the search onset, but it goes throughout its process. It's even at hiring decision. We're with our clients every step of the way to help them, again, make the best hiring decision possible based on their unique data set. It's not enough for me to go into our database two years and three years ago and say, this is where you need to hire at. Because listen, Clark, you've been doing this for a long time. Very different hiring climate two and three years ago. That data is old, right? Yep. We're, 
we're bringing data right now and it's current time to say, this is what your competition is doing. This is how you're going to win. This is a point that has come up a lot in our program recently. I think I've talked about it on, on a couple posts on LinkedIn. The because it's always I'm trying to you know talk to recruit agency owners and recruiters and 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 sale people getting into sales and recruiting. Like, what is the value, right? They're like, how do I sell? I'm like, well, what do you bring to the table, right? Think, take a step back and what business value are you bringing to a client or to a potential, you know, potential prospect? Like, what does that look like? And for whatever reason, they always forget that all their screens, all their calls, that's, that's data. That's an asset, right? That a company isn't doing right. Every day that you spent, you do 10 phone screens or every week you have 30 candidates plus say five recruiters, that's 150 for a company a week, right over the year, that's thousands in a year. Like that's your client isn't doing that. Right. They're typically just posting a job and waiting for inbound and maybe getting to a couple people. Like that's about it. That's the that's the asset. It's a huge asset that people don't realize, right? That effort put in. What is some of the data? If you give like an example that you're giving your clients, it's like ahead of what they're able to find out. Yeah. Great question. The, I mean, the number one thing that every hiring authority is going to want to know is is going to be pertaining to compensation. It's just it's where everyone's head goes, right? How much is it going to cost me to hire the best talent in the marketplace, right? But in addition to that, if they say, John, find me a business development director in, you know, whatever, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, which is a strong tri-state corridor of clinical research, even before we begin a search, we can go into the database and say with all certainty, listen, if you want someone in that area, you're going to need to come to the table with this base salary and you only have a candidate pool of X, you know, X, maybe a hundred viable candidates. It could be 250 viable candidates, but you know, for, listen, for a clinical operations director or a chief commercial officer that is head down trying to grow a company or ensure that their site is functioning properly. I get it. They have a lot on their plate. I don't expect them to have and possess the knowledge that we do in our proprietary database to understand how to perform a search at the onset without someone like an organization like us helping them through the process. And if I, if I would, Clark, I also wanted to hone in on one thing that you said regarding like job posting, we don't even post jobs, right? That's, that's just the reality of it. And, and the reason, so why don't you do that, John? The reason is such the best candidates that our clients want to employ are gainfully employed, producing and being, being paid very, very, very well in the existing organizations that they're going after. We are executive recruitment. We are headhunters. We bring people to the table that affect meaningful budgets and revenue discussions on a daily basis. You're not gonna find those people through job postings. You need to get that through a proactive agency with strong data on hand. Even if they do apply for whatever reason, it's typically they get lost in the shuffle, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, applicants don't even get, you know, I, I, unfortunately, they don't even get looked at, right? And maybe yeah. it's because, I don't know, the easy apply and all that, right? There's a lot of stuff going on there. But it is, it does take that direct outreach. Hey, I thought of you because of this, right? And they're like, oh, okay, interesting, right? It it, it, it does, you kind of, you need an advocate for your company and whether it's internally or externally, it's just the fact of the matter is a lot of internal recruitment is as broken, if not more broken than a lot of the external recruitment. And that is why it's so valuable to have like a firm like yours that is dialed in, mm-hmm. has the data, is added every single day, has the processes, like knows how to take the approach, right? It, it's, you know, headhunting, even, you know, some more, you know, regular direct search, contract search, like it still takes that, like, hey, we thought of you, like there's a match here, 
right? And the job postings, you know, people's eyes get glossy or whatever. Like they don't even want to deal with it. As you said, someone that is gainfully employed, they might look at that like, ah, it's not worth my time. Right. I think that's something people don't think about either. Right. With those job postings. It's like, it's not that they aren't looking. It's just, they don't want to bother like going through the tedious application process and not getting looked at. Right. There, it, there's really no point. It really does that the current, you're, you're exactly right. The current system actually fosters like a malaise in the industry because one HR is, is completely inundated and buried under resumes at the current time. I mean, listen, Given the state of the economy, you and I and everyone listening both knows that there's a lot of applicants on the market. So where people might get five or 10 applicants, they're now getting 100, 200, 500. They cannot sift through all those resumes. But I also feel for the individual that is desperately trying, that has been laid off, is desperately trying to get back to work, has 100 applications and no responses. And those two things together create a catastrophe for hiring in our industry at the moment. I'm always telling people, if you're not coming through my agency or another agency to ensure you're getting quality representation, please do your research and leaked out, I'm sorry, reach out to a individual on LinkedIn that you believe may be the hiring authority or someone in HR or someone that can get you a meaningful conversation. I'm glad you said I was just about to say that, like, because I don't want this to be the doom and gloom episode, but like to give an actual approach that works, right? Find an agency recruiter that's in, you know, in your wheelhouse, right? In the industry that you want to be in, connect with them, message them, right? Just, um, you know, see if we can have a conversation, kind of, you know, they can give you feedback or they can keep you in mind for anything, right? And to your point, which is excellent, like connect with those hiring managers at those companies and it could be the title that your old boss had, right? Like that's a title to probably start with at a, like, you know, another company, right? So again, it's just an, a different way. I think that's a, a little bit more hands-on, a little bit easier and more worth your while than just blanket applying, right? And that's how a lot, that's how a lot of stuff gets done. I mean, I'm, we're about to bring on a, a sales, a salesperson for our agency side, and she just responded with a lengthy message after like, I, you know, I, you know, Hey, thanks for reaching out and connecting with me. Like what inspired you to connect? That's all I asked her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, here's why, like I've been following you and this is where my situation's at. Like I love, right. you know, your approach, everything else. I'm like, Oh, we should talk. Like, yeah. I could just tell like she had the knack for it for an, the sales job, which she had done. I'm like, let's get on the phone. Turned out to be like a really great match. So I'm like, right. this yeah. is gr-. like, so just to that point, it, it's real and it works. I know that would work with you and I know it worked with me as well, you know, internally or with one of our clients. Uh, so great if you point. Can't find, yeah. If you can't find interest in the organization that you're attempting to work with, especially in a sales capacity, what excitement level are you going to bring to reaching out to any of your organization's clients? I, I'm a hundred percent on board with you. Absolutely. No, it, it's, it's a good, uh, you know, cause people are like, well, what else should I do? I mean, this would be the approach that I know you or I would take if we're on the mark. I, the one I did take when I was first getting jobs out of college, uh, so I tell like, people like, how'd you get into football? Well, I found a random email database. I paid 50 bucks for all the email addresses to the NFL and video coordinators and college, uh, college football in the NFL. And I emailed every single one of them with my resume. And I'm just like, Hey, I'm ready to work. And five or 10 of them got back to me and I got, that's how I got hired at the university at the United football league. And then the university of Florida, like that was it. I didn't apply. There was no job postings for those jobs. I just got directly to the hiring manager who I thought was, and that was in 2009. Right. I'm still the same thing still works in 2023. So smart. 
All right. Well, we'll we'll continue on here. So it's not all roses building an agency, right? The day to day, there's a lot of obstacles. What are some of the biggest challenges you've had to face in kind of building out your agency and just kind of making your stamp on the market? Um, you know, I would say, I, I would say, you know, for us, I can't speak for every single agency, but for us, I, I think it was really twofold. Um, the, the first one is we took no capital of any kind, no investment money starting out. It was just my business partner and I in a grassroots effort. We were lucky enough to win a good number of clients early because of past performances at other organizations. But, you know, where do you go when the relationships are exhausted, right? Because as you have them and they become repeat business, you still need to continue to do new business development and grow the organization. You and I both know that there's a lot of us out there. How do you stand above the rest? What is your value proposition? What is your message? And I think that's what every single agency goes through. But I also think that our entrance into the space uh, was pretty similar to where a lot of organizations actually have started. But, you know, yeah, really, the, the big one is how do you make noise? Uh, how do you get into an oversaturated space? The other one would be, uh, sorry for any other agencies out there listening. The other would be simply overcoming history. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that ClinSearch does everything the best way and everyone should adopt our policies. Uh, but as an industry, we all need to get away from the transactional nature of I got a guy, you need a guy, because this breeds a significant amount of content with the clients to where we're one, you know, mid-sized biotech may have an absolute terrible experience with one agency. They might have a really good experience with another, but that agency won't ever get their shot because the first agency messed up their psyche so bad here. So many organizations have just terrible experience with agencies and recruitment partners. There is that preconceived notion out there. I know you know what I'm talking about. This is where we've tried to overcome any preconceived notion, again, with our value proposition, help them understand that we are experts in the space. This is all we do. We don't touch anything else. Outside of drug development, you need to talk to someone else for that. But it's really our attempt to help them see us as a partner not as a roadblock or a frustration in their day-to-day. -day. Th those are the two things that we've really seen have been the biggest challenges. Yeah, it, it's, I feel like I a broken record. I've said on the podcast, I say it on client coaching calls, sales calls, low recruiting is low barrier to entry, high bar to success. So your job in marketing as an agency is to show that you have crossed that barrier and have a high bar of success and have a standard and boundaries and a value prop and in a process that you execute day-to-day. That's the job in cold outreach, right? And kind of building that trust. That's why I love using LinkedIn content and a well-framed profile to start building that trust and, and that voice, have clients and prospects get to know you before they actually talk to you. That is the biggest time saver. One of the biggest time savers I've seen in outreach, right? And you can even do that. You could still incorporate cold calls and emails into that, right? You have your LinkedIn, you could do cold call, leave a voicemail, follow it up with an email, Say, hey, I also sent you a LinkedIn connection request. Here's my profile. Then they get to your LinkedIn profile. They see your content. I mean, that's like the multi-channel approach to kind of standing and rising above the noise uh, that, that I always recommend. I don't know. Is that kind of been similar to you? Has it been more through like word of mouth to stand out? Like what are some of the approaches like you, you've taken to do that? In the beginning, we've had, uh, you know, we've been very, very fortunate to have, like I mentioned, we brought on a lot of our friends that have used us in the past. They knew about our successes. We shared them together. 
through that, yeah, we have had a good amount of repeat business, but uh, also word of mouth that have said, hey, listen, so-and-so, you're looking for this. Do you know about John and his agency? Check out what they're doing. Look at their website. Talk to John. And, you know, we think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, but ultimately, where we are at our point at stage, at our stage in our history is, you know, we're looking at growth right now. We're looking at scaling. So like any other agency that does that, sure, we're still asking for that repeat word of mouth business, which is great. It's actually the best way to gather new clients as is. Um, but no, you know, we, we uh, along with a lot of the other industry, you know, cold calling is on the table. It is, it is an animal that this industry has to bear. I mean, that is just the reality of it. And we're looking at expanding our marketing presence and branding presence in 2024. Nice. Yeah, it's... Uh... There's no better time to do it than when you have the consistent, stable, you know, a stable of clients and roles and make creating revenue and all that. Like that's the time to double down on business mm -hmm. development, especially in a market like this, right? It's been a tougher year. You know, if you can stay afloat, stay alive, survive, and start to build out and kind of show that you're hanging, you know, you're there to reap the rewards when the market, you know, goes back up, which it it always does, right? There's always always ebbs and flows. To that point, I was talking to an old friend regarding, you know, where staffing is in its current climate. And he was saying it's very similar to where it was in 2008. Um, mm -hmm. For those of anyone that's listening that was around at that time, um, there was not a lot of hiring. Uh, but what happened is a lot of the old staffing professionals left to do other things, but the ones that hung on had a name for themselves. So for any of you that are discouraged at the current climate, Hold on, do everything you can to hold on because, you know, you and we will all come out of this better when it's all done. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's well said, you know, find partnerships, partner with other agencies, you know, find out who's hiring, you know, can you help on their roles and find candidates for them, you know, put mm -hmm. yourself out there with your own firm, like whatever, whatever you got to do, right. You got to keep the tech stack lean and mean, like we always talk about here, like you can do it, Like right? You can do a couple hundred bucks a month in tools and, have a pretty high powered, you know, uh, full recruiting desk. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you can just kind of keep keep after it, you know, qualify. I was talking about qualify those racks, qualify those candidates, right? Dig in, get to know them. This is the time to dig in on mm -hmm. the rapport, the relationships and find out about the candidates and clients. I mean, that's just good recruiting practice in general. But now as people remember that when you're doing that, especially when the times are hard. Right. And that's how you it, it aligns perfectly with recruiting because that's how you get good intel, right? And able to make matches more efficiently, more effectively. But it's especially now, right? Because reps were falling out of the sky the last couple of years. People were, were getting placed and sure we'll hire that person, we'll hire this person. Here's your, you know, here's your placement fee. It's a lot like this is when good recruiting practices are revealed. Uh, you know, like stick to those and like you can you can survive. And I would encourage anyone to get out and, and visit your clients. You know, that, that's, a ten, that's a tenet of ClinSearch that we get out to conferences, we get on site, whatever that is. You know, we, we do a lot of work with, you know, in my industry, what's called investigator sites. And it does really help to actually walk the floors, see the lab, right? Understand the staff that's at the investigator site, because then that becomes a selling point for your client. But to your earlier point, there's no better place to build rapport than in person. There just isn't. And I know, uh, you know, again, I, I don't mean to disparage an entire industry. There's a lot of us that just want to work behind the desk. It may work for some, but I can tell you what's going to elevate your game is truly understanding these people, not only on a professional basis, but on a personal basis. Get get out there. I, I love it. And then we, I remember we talked about that last year, like, 
you're big on lunches, on conferences, on like whatever you could do, right? Like happy hours, like getting out there. That's what we had to do at AirTech. It was two lunches a week, like minimum, like that's what we were expected to do. And it's, and, you know, walking the plant was always really helpful, especially if I could bring my recruiters along and they could see it. It was a much better job of selling the job, you know, a much easier time of selling the job. And, you know, all, all that kind of, it just adds a little bit more context. It can paint the picture a little bit better, right? It's, can reduce ghosting it's better feedback all that good stuff and there is there's nothing like breaking bread right if you do that with the hiring managers over and over like you're going to be top of mind like they're going to give you a call they're going to give you more information they'll you know you talk about giving data to them well they'll give you insights on what they're mapping out or what they're projecting and all that good stuff and i'm sure you've seen that and and from the in-person meetings and from just the conferences right you can just like man i just picked up two two accounts and not only that but like they're great clients like because we built that rapport over a day or two conference uh so you, you and I, I mean, let, let me, I'll leave with this. I think we could talk on this subject for the longest time, but I, I've always, I've always told people whether you're in month one or year 10 and there's frustrations and frustrations happens at, happens at every single year in staffing. This is the only job you can do everything right and still lose. This, <laughs> this is a marathon and not a sprint. I mean, there, I have just one example off the top of my head where I had been interacting with an organization for six years at a conference, six years. And we got it to the point where, um, you know, every time I go around the booth, they say, not this year, John. And I, I would just say, oh, no problem. Well, I'll check next year. Right. We got it to a point where we had such a cordial relationship. They began reaching out to me and said, will you will I see you at the conference? Finally, at six years, they said, John, we're ready to grow aggressively. Let's get moving. So. Do not get discouraged by your one-year nose um, because you will have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of them. This is a marathon, not a sprint. I got to clip that part of it and send it to the group, the group uh, program members because it's, it's hard because we've been really focusing on building out your – your territory plan, right? And that could be national, that could be regional, whatever that looks like. It could be international, right? Really building out your target accounts and staying with it. What are the contacts? What can you find out about it? You know, can you make sure like you have your, your territory plan is aligned with your profile, which is aligned with your messaging and your content, right? So we've been really diving a lot deeper this year. It, it's hard. Those are the questions we get back. Well, they didn't respond to my connection message. Okay, like keep going, right? We're talking about like the next month or the month after. We had a great example that happened on the sales call Tuesday. Someone's like, well, the CFO, this home health clinic, that's like, that's her target. They, he asked like, if I'm, you know, I'm a recruiter and like, yep, I have a recruiter, I have a team, but she didn't ask him any follow-up questions. So we're like, go back, ask him what what's going on with him. You know, and so sure enough, she messaged us yesterday, shows us the screenshot. She did that. And he's like, oh, hey, why don't we meet in person sometime? Like, why don't you come by the office? So they set up an in-person meeting there, but she started recruiting last year. So she's not used to the in-person meeting, right? Like with because of you know COVID and all that. Like that's not Zoom is the norm now, not in person. Yeah. But she's gonna have an in-person meeting. She's already done some like stop by, so she has the knack for it. That's gonna open up like I think her mind, like, oh, this is so much more effective, right? But just like if you just stay at it, you never know what happens if you ask the question or you make, you know, hey. Can we learn more about your process or can we meet up? Sometimes they'll suggest it, right? And that's it's another show of like urgency. Like they really need help right now. So yes, like staying with it, asking, like just like the little simple things like, hey, what why do we meet up? Or how about lunch? Or, you know, I can stop by and do, drop off some donuts. Like and if you don't know, just kind of inquire, right? If you know they're a target, you know they hire in your skill sets, like 
who knows, right? You kind of just keep at it. And like having that marathon mindset is critical because you have, but it, I think it only works if you have enough volume in your day to day. Yeah. Right. I think so it's like finding, having the mindset and then having the volume every day. Like that's when it becomes more comfortable and you can start to see like the long game actually develop. Right. But it's kind of getting over that hurdle seems to be the biggest issue for people. I, I feel like I'm giving out some of my secret sauce here. So I'll, I'll bill you for it after, <laughs> after we're all done. Um, where I saw a good amount of success is becoming more than an agency, more than a recruiter, become an expert in their space. I was up on every single industry newsletter, everything. And when something happened, I would take it, send it to my client and say, are you aware of this? Do you know of your competition's growth and how are you ready to combat this? And I did that so many times over the years where people would start reaching out to me proactively just to say, what are you hearing out there? Right. And then the con and then at that point, once they see you as an industry expert, then the conversation can switch to say, well, let me tell you what my team is working on that can help you out with that. It's the way it's it's the way I mean, it's it, again, this is why I think we've, we've always been like minded. This is what I've preached to people like just ownership. If you're going to do it, you're going to have value prop, own it. And I love your approach. I love that approach. And I, I think people and recruiters hearing this, hopefully they really take it to heart. You know, don't just be in this for a big commission check, right? That's an easy way to, to scare off a lot of people. People can kind of sense that. But if if you really have something to bring to the table, like own it, learn, evolve, like always be learning more, right? About the industry, about your own process, like your sales approach, your recruiting approach, like just continue to evolve. That energy like resonates with candidates and clients. And it might be a little woo-woo for some people, but it's not just like the energy, but even just the... the the questions that you're asking, being engaged, mm -hmm. like really being an industry expert. It is talked about a lot, but I think you're giving the secret sauce on like how to actually do that day to day. And I think it's going to be it's super helpful for hopefully people listening to this that might not know like how to do that. Like that's it. Like just be, a, be in the game, have a large setup and, and just reach out. And like that's how you do a reach out. It's not, hey, are you hiring every month? Like these are ways to follow up that add value. It's huge. Exactly right. Cool. All right. We've talked about challenges, building out the firm, doing a little bit differently. It's been six years. You know, what, what are some of the biggest wins, right, that, that you're proud of? <laughs> uh, I'm great at celebrating losses and not so good at celebrating wins. It's important. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I'm, no one wants to ever say their, their baby is ugly. We, we still have a, a long way to go. There's, a, there's still a number of things that we could be doing better. We're, we're just literally finishing up our, speaking of tech stacks, we're just finishing up our new tech stack to head into 2024 really, really strong. Um, but, you know, ultimately, biggest wins. You know, my dad, my dad had a business. He started his own business, a towing and, and gas pumping business back in Chicago here. Um, I never thought, I looked at him and I said, how did you do this? This is impossible. I saw the frustrations and all that other stuff. I said, there's no way I could do this. But with my theory of partner, truly partnering with clients, I said, let's give this a try. Um, we are self-funded, right? We, there, there's no capital. There's no private equity. There's, there's nothing. And we've been profitable every single year since 2017, given our conservative outlooks. Um, I, I, someone might be able to correct me on this, but just based on a little bit of my research, I understand that based on various articles, the staffing industry grows 
year over year, anywhere between three and a half percent and I think 7.1% over year. Again, correct me if I'm not, uh, I'm not explaining that appropriately, but I can tell you from 2021 to 2022, our biggest year ever, we grew revenue 65.8% by, and we only added two individuals, right? We increased, we grew 65% by increasing our human capital by, let's just call it 15 to 20% at the time. So when you see that, it's like I said at the beginning, I'm very good at dwelling on my losses and it's tough for me to go back and look at that. But the reality is, is it's wins like that, that build on each other year over year over year that really make a difference and really help us scale. I, I never, I, I never thought I'd own a company. Um, that was never a thought of mine, but I couldn't find one that would allow me to work the way that I wanted to. So the only way to do that is to start this. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's, you know, what I'm just really grateful for the team that I've had, where we are right now and really excited where we're going to go in 24 and beyond. I love it. It totally answers the question, right? And I think you're preaching to the choir, especially me. I never thought I'd own a company. I didn't even think I could own a company until 2017. I didn't even realize entrepreneurship. I hadn't really ever studied it or learned about it. And which might sound crazy to some people, but it was like, it kind of just like clicked. I read a book and I was like, oh, like maybe I could do something on my own. You know, and this could answer the question of like, oh, I always have to work for someone else and it's never quite the right fit, right? As you said, so I think it's just really encouraging for people to hear like that growth, like year over year, being able to be profitable, growing, you know, 60, 65% with only adding two people, you know, people are going to ask how, well, if they listen to the first part of this, they're going to know how, like you, it was a marathon approach. You're building those connections. You were out there every single day on the phones or in person, you know, providing quality service. And like, that just multiplies on itself. So you're able to capitalize on a year like last year. And I'm sure it was all those clients coming together, plus new clients that were all kind of just hiring at once. And you had the process with your team and you already had the candidate network. So you probably already did all the recruiting for the five years before. So you were just matchmaking all last year. I'm assuming kind of probably how it, it operated just to give people some light on like how this works, right? When you're, you're doing it right. It's like, you're not really recruiting from scratch in 2022. You're probably just matching your whole network. You had already built out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. And the, and then even furthermore, beyond 2022, uh, you know, listen, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say this out loud. Um, I, you know, I just tend to share information willingly. Some agencies may not do this, but listen, three, two to two or three of our largest clients that we did business with um, consistently month over month, year over year in 2022 went on reductions in force or hiring freeze, whatever you want to call it. Some went on, you know, significant layoffs and on their third rounds of funding. Our job is to be right here in the same place when we get back to normalcy, right? So the, the 12, 14, 20 people that we placed with you in 21 and 2022, right? You're going to get that same great service once this whole thing turns around. You're going to have to talk to the same people, same service. We're still going to be here to support you. So, you know, again, marathon, not a sprint. Stay in place and keep grinding. It's people love having that one person they can rely on a call and we have right about a hundred different things we got to take care of. So it's just nice to know that like, Hey, I got a guy, right? We have it for mechanics. Ideally we have it for, you know, health insurance or taxes or whatever. Like, be that person as a recruiting agency, you know, like I got an agency, like they're really good. And it's also, it's something interesting. It's, it's a nice 
think think about those industries where people talk about getting scammed a lot or not having great service. There's a lot of pride that comes with finding someone you trust in an agency in an industry where it can kind of be low trust, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's used to having a bad mechanic experience, but when they have a good one, I got a great mechanic, mm-hmm. right? So it's like when you got a great agency, it's like I got a great agency. That's a great that that is such a great point, and I want to talk to that as well. Do not run a great process and do not get discouraged if you don't place the first assignment that you work with. I have a multitude of examples where I worked with an agency and we worked our process and it was a great process. But for some reason, an internal candidate came in, another agency pulled something out of thin air and we didn't make that placement. That's okay. People are going to remember how you treated them. They won't even remember the outcomes. I had a client come back to me last year that two years ago, I didn't, I didn't close the assignment. I didn't make the placement. They came back to me two years later and said, John, listen, I loved your process. We're not growing vastly, but I do have this one thing that I need a specialist and I think you can help out on. So that's an instance to where you can still lose. And as long as you're running a good process and you're committed to your client. There's always something there. Help them understand that they're there for you and they'll remember that when the time comes again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not too dissimilar from our story, uh, to be perfectly frank, right? I mean, it's, it's a little bit kind of how it was last year, right? I think, and, and that's, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes, right? Um, and like that's, it is. It's the process, the relationship. And I've always said that I don't, I'd rather, I'm okay with losing on a wreck. If it just goes away and no hires ever made, like that's not great. Right. But if I lose, I put my best foot forward with the information we had at the time and we learned from that. That's okay. Like we can come back, you know, we can come back, you know, another time, right? When when it makes sense. So great, great point. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of to to that point, um, a little bit, kind of adjacent, anything you would have done differently? You know, it's been six years starting your own agency, kind of looking back, anything you might have done a little differently to start with? Um, Yeah. If if I could look, you know, introspectively, um, I, I would have put I would have put more revenue, more capital, uh, more capital, more capital into uh, and more investments into our marketing strategy. Uh, this actually goes back to an earlier point where we were discussing about challenges, how to start an agency. It, it's simply just making a noise. Um, but if you're going to grassroots it, cash is king and every penny is precious. So it, if you if it's you and one other sales guy or two other sales guy and you can get marketing through word of mouth, that's great as well. Uh, but the reality is I, I can't help but wonder where we might be from a, from a branding perspective and a scalability perspective if we really pushed out, like if we hired an external agency and we really pushed out a strong branding strategy in the market. It's almost shameful to say, but again, like I said, I, I've built a history on being brutally honest. There's still people in my space out there that don't know we exist. I just came back from a conference and they said, who are you with? And I said, ClinSearch. It, it kills me inside when they say, never heard of him. As the owner of an organization, I die a little bit inside when I hear I've never heard of them. But, you know, when you're a small agency starting out, you are being pulled in 10 million different directions. Still to this day, I have old clients calling me to work on their behalf. I have old candidates I've placed calling me on their behalf. I'm sweeping the floors over here because because <laughs> janitor is also in my title. Um, 
start starting off can be very very tricky if i could go back and do anything again i i put a stronger focus on marketing and branding yeah it, it's uh it ends up being a cheat code i don't know how else to describe it i mean it, you have to work for it you know but i i realized when i started i posted three times a week and very quickly i was like i got to post every day especially coaching i mean recruiting is a bad rap coaching might be lower on the totem pole. Uh, right. And so it, it was just every day I had to get out there. I had to just share the insight, share, you know, the mission, what I'm about, like what I see in this industry, that's how you and I connected. Right. And, and started the, the report, right. You saw yeah, my saw post and post. we connected and you reached out and like, Hey, can you, can we talk about this? I need some help. And here, and we just start, you know, got to know each other and, and everything else. Like that's it. And not everyone knows digital recruiter. It's been a couple of years. I've only been posting a year and a half, but that's, you know, I, I can control that every single day and just like mm -hmm. posting and, you know, sharing the insights and the wind, whether, you know, you've made one placement, no placements, a hundred placements. There's always a story to share because if you've made 50 phone screens, you've learned a lot about recruiting, mm -hmm. right? Like they're even without a placement. So like, there's always something to kind of share and people are inspired by the journey and see the growth over time. They kind of, you know, hop aboard a little bit and see like the evolution. Um, and like, that's, yeah, it's such a powerful, powerful thing. And with LinkedIn, your market is there most of the time mm -hmm. for most industries, the hiring managers are posting on LinkedIn, even if the candidates aren't there, aren't on there, they're still posting on LinkedIn. So they're checking it. So it's like, you can get out there, you can build that, you can connect with your market every single day and have them see your content. It's a heck of a one-two approach. You can expedite your network building in years, what takes people years, 20 years ago, it take you six months, 12 months now to build the same type of network because of the digital presence, what a digital presence allows. So. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Just yeah. make sure that whatever you're pushing out there on, on LinkedIn for anyone that's listening, um, you know, make sure it's good quality content and try not to just rehash, uh, add your own thoughts on there as well, because that is what's going to elevate you as the the expert in the space. I can't believe I forgot to talk about LinkedIn. I used, I remember that every day I was uh, uh, putting an article up on LinkedIn and um, and addressing it with you know my thoughts and theories. Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it, yeah, people want your takes on things and your insights, and not a ChatGPT with a bunch of rocket emojis and mm -hmm. the same block. You know, six. You know, here's the six tips and block post, and you know, it's kind of repetitive towards the end. You're like, wait, who really wrote this? And now I'm seeing this with the comment section as well. I get AIs in my comment that I can definitely tell. Um, and if I could tell now, people will be able to tell really quickly in about six to twelve months. So. FYI to everyone considering using that when it's content, really be careful. You know, you want to use your own voice and you want to tell the truth, like really make sure you're honest with your content. Right. And the, the blanket statements and all that, like that's where I see people kind of get in trouble, like really speak to your, your experience and your insights. Um, that has enough power in of itself and enough mm -hmm. sway. Um, so yeah, great, that's great right. points. So uh, people that are just, getting started with building out their agency or getting started maybe even in, in recruiting. And if you're getting started in recruiting right now, more power to you. Uh, Cause it's, it's, it's a tough time, but a great time at the same time. Um, what's advice that you have for them? Um, yeah, this one is simple. I, I would definitely say pick a lane, own your space and um, become the experts. I, I've seen too many people quickly dilute themselves when they try and be all things to everyone and they fail at every turn, right? I mean, because if you think about that, 
I'm just going to use business development professionals as an example, because I've been working with them for 13, 14 years. Um, you know, if, if I'm working, uh, if I say I want to be a BD professional, but now all of a sudden I'm, I'm picking up a bunch of different focuses, I have to stop working with my BD professionals and I have to start not only educating myself in another space, I have to talk to many, many different skill sets. When you're working one or two or three different disciplines, keeping a small, you know, concentric network, you can work with 10, 15, 20 different clients. You're still only calling into one person. That's it. And what's great about that, and this is exactly how I built my brand back in the day. What's great about that, when you're calling one person for opportunities at 20 different companies, that candidate, that individual is going to say, well, damn, this guy really knows the space. He has access to all the best opportunities. Now, once you become the expert, branch out. Absolutely. You know, I'm talking to my, you know, my owners out there, right? If you if you've built an expert in the space, begin branching out, bring some more people on board, train them up. Um, but man, I got to tell you, if, if I could offer one, one piece of advice, know your role in and out, up and down, outside and in. Like, I mean, that is, that's where your value is. That's where you become the expert. And that's where they start calling into you for your help and advice. Absolutely. When you mentioned with the candidates, it's like, that's how you get good referrals. Right, because they know good people. They know, hey, this guy, you know, John, he's he knows like twenty good companies. Like he got me hooked up with this job. Like he could probably help you out too. And like then, and they feel better about getting referrals because they don't feel like you have just one, say, sales role open. Right? It's like no, he's got multiple. Right? So if you're able to like show that abundance mindset and you take care of that candidate first, then they'll refer to all the good people that they know as well. And like it just kind of plays off itself. I mean, that's what happened you know, it was at Aerotech with skilled trades. Like I get a really good mechanic. We treat them right. And he'd refer his five other mechanic friends. And those were the biggest margins we had in that in that uh in our division, in our vertical. So like it was it was just easy for us after a while because like we could kind of play on that and be like, yeah, those are the guys that have the good mechanic jobs, right? And the good companies. It's it's huge. It's a huge asset. Um, I would also offer be a lifelong learner. I, I still learn every day, whether it's something that, you know, one of my coworkers brings to my attention, something that a, a client brings to my attention, a candidate. You have no idea the wealth of knowledge you can gain from candidates. Like most of them want, like if you're not really well versed in your space, most actually are willing to and want to help you. Yeah. Um, but another thing, don't poo poo LinkedIn. I'm sorry, not LinkedIn, um, YouTube. I, I didn't go to school for clinical research. I, I have two degrees that are, I mean, biology is one, but you know, kind of clinical research, but clinical research is very, very specific with the amount of regulatory oversight um, and governance that goes on with it. So it's its own subset. But man, I got to tell you, when I was starting out, I was working 50, 60 hour days. And then I was putting another five to 10 hours on YouTube every day. What is clinical research? What does a principal investigator do? Tell me about the IRB process, right? You will learn a tremendous amount from doing re from not only talking to people, but doing your own research. And again, it's about setting yourself up as the expert in the space. Absolutely. Google and YouTube, they're, they can be very, very helpful friends in, mm -hmm. in learning any space or learning more about it. Cause that translates, that's such a powerful 
approach with clients and candidates, you know, they, there's, you know, a time when they don't mind giving you the information, but the more you're able to add and layer on and kind of fill in some of the gaps in those conversations, like that could be all it takes sometimes to kind of push everything in your direction. I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, we actually could use your help on this. Right. Or actually, you know what? I might be looking right. Like sometimes like I, I like I remember that evolution it took when like more and more I learned about like kind of skill trades and, and everything else. Like there is kind of like a, a switch that mm-hmm. goes off. Like it's okay to learn and like ask questions when you're learning, but then when you show you like you're competent, that's when the opportunities really start coming in. Absolutely. Yeah. So advice for, you know, partnering with an agency, say, you know, a client or I'm a company or uh, I'm someone in charge of hiring or in the hired department or, or, or hired or whole whole team or build out organization, you know, what, what advice do you have for someone that might be thinking of partnering with a recruiting agency? Uh, another great question. Um, I, I would say that any hiring authority right now, the right time to start partnering with an agency is before you hit the, 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 the red panic button, right? Because by the time you've hit the red panic button, you've got a critical backfill that you need to do, or you're about to win a ton of business where you don't have time to do your research in ClinSearch, the digital recruiter, any other agency out there, you don't have time. You need to know that you've got an expert in your space that you can call up right now, flip the switch and say, go on this immediately. I just took a call at 7.30 yesterday for an ongoing client that's starting a new venture and is is gonna uh, tap us to help them find their new CEO. But I was already a known entity to them. I had worked with them in the past, so there's a relationship there. But if you're if you're a hiring authority, do your research right now. Figure out what recruiters and what agencies work in your space. Call them up. Call them up. Talk to them. Grill them. Tell me what you know about you know whatever the new Sunshine Act or the new FDA guidelines for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Tell me what you know. If they can't tell you. They're not your firm. And I can tell you, I promise you, no matter what industry you're in, there are very, very strong agencies out there that you know, might know regulations and what's coming down the pike even earlier than you, believe it or not. It's crazy. Um, but do your research now. Vet the agency. Vet their process. Vet their skill set. Where do they come from? Have they been recruiting? And listen, I don't mean to throw shade at anyone that just started out. We've all started somewhere. Have they been recruiting for three months or 30 years, right? There's a difference in experience. Spend time with your agency. Please, please, clients, don't just think sending a job description is an adequate amount for a professional placement agency to do their job. Most JDs are canned. I can write them. I've written dozens of hundreds of them in my time. It's just a bunch of bullets. We want to know the true soft skills that are actually going to move the needle in your role, not just, you know, history of overperforming sales quota, right? That's on every single sales job description (laughs) since the dawn of time, right? We need to truly understand what you're looking for Um, and really choose someone that's been doing it for a while, you know, that has a database, you know, knowledge to get something done. I, I also see as much as I'm sitting here preaching about agencies being an advocate for their clients and building a strong partnership, um, I also see it go the other way as well to where, you know, the client, uh, you know, treats us in a very transactional nature and just says, listen, just fill my role, right? The best agencies might view that as to say, listen, this is not the partner for me. Maybe I take my best candidates somewhere else. 
Because remember, we do the best agencies have access to the best candidates and we can direct them based on the solution of what client we're working with at that time. Yeah, it's it's well said. And the client has a lot of control just with, as you said, with their approach and their attitude on if we want to send the best client, the candidates there or not. Like that's, it's interesting and it's easy to get, you know, maybe you have a bad experience or two with an agency, but you find a good one, you know, have, you know, if you have a great attitude, it's amazing how long, how far that can go and just approach and all that. And it's very obvious if you don't, and yeah, we've, I've not sent people to certain places because it's like that person, that's a good person. I don't want them to go through that ringer of that process or like deal with that hiring manager. Like that's very real. So it's, you know, when you come across a great agency, like you, you got to come with your A game too. Like that's the flip side for sure. Yeah. I I wanted to mention one other thing that's a little bit in line with your question, but maybe also a little bit outside the box as well. Agencies know your worth. No more of this 10%, 15% stuff. I under I understand times are tough. Like, I get it. But if you don't value your services enough to stand up there and command what I would classify as an industry standard fee for the amazing service that you do, please don't do that anymore. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I can talk to ClinSearch. We provide an amazing solution and service to our clients that I really won't budge on fees. My co-workers and we and us we have the ability to bring our clients I'm going to keep using salespeople as an example we have the ability to bring our salespeople or our clients salespeople that could deliver three five maybe ten million ten million dollars in revenue more than what you might get off a job posting are we really going to complain about a 25 percent industry standard recruitment fee when i can deliver you 10 million dollars of revenue indirectly in the best sales talent is that really where we're getting to so this is my this is just my my plea for the entire agency. Please, you work you guys work in a very noble profession. We advance people's careers. We bring organizations and hiring authorities the best talent possible. You provide a great solution. Do not dilute that by working for free. I love it. That's a great great way to wrap this up. It goes to the point of if you're not sure how to do that, go make the business case understand the business case for your solution and the value that you're bringing, right? You know, why is this role open? What's the cost of not filling this role? Ask, start asking those questions and get that intel, gather that. It's like, all right, well, we have the database, especially for producer type roles. It's pretty simple to make the business case of why a 25% fee is kind of a no brainer if you're getting that top talent, right? So well said, a great point. Um, John, this was great. John, where can we find you? Where should we find you? People want to reach out and connect with you. Where should they find the you? Easy, the easiest way would be LinkedIn. Um, just by the full name, Jonathan Gardo. Um, but you can also reach out to me on our website, www.clinsearchres.com. Uh, those would be the two main areas. Um, and once we become good friends and colleagues, uh, I'll release the cell phone to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not, not just yet, but... We'll have, uh, we'll have the, all the information on the episode summaries where you find that Spotify, Apple, YouTube, that'll be on there. Um, and we'll have the LinkedIn and the website. John, thank you so much. Ton of wisdom and good insights on here. So I appreciate you, know, you coming on and sharing your story, man. Thank you, Clark. This was very enjoyable. I've seen your other podcasts. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of talent that you bring on to these 
um, these events. Um, I mean, if, if I was starting out, I would definitely put up an alert to make sure that I'm aware that every time you put something out, I need to take a peek at it. I, I appreciate that, man. Well, you're, you're, you're added to that, that list of, of really just like high quality people and talented people. So this has been super fun. A lot of good stuff on here. Um, yeah. Appreciate your time, man. So, well, that's, uh, that's it for this episode, Digital Recruiter Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Make sure to like, subscribe, five stars, all that nice stuff, you know, help the uh, little podcast off the ground here. So we appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you next time.